The Gospel of John, again, as I pointed out, pretty much every time that John has stated his thesis of Jesus Christ being God, and now he's going through the process of proving that thesis. And really what he's looking at here in the last part of the chapter, well, other than the first six verses, but the majority of the first chapter, he's looking at the witness. Again, he's wanting to show proofs of that which he stated, and the first thing he's doing is the witness. Now he's establishing the witness because what he's going to be going through in the remainder of the book are the acts that Jesus did. And so he's backing up first what Jesus has done with the establishment of the necessity of the witness. And it's the same thing that we need out in our society today. We have the truths of what Jesus has done, but we need to have the witness out into society because that's what's going to minister. So tonight is the last of a series of our examinations on the Apostle John as he uses verses 19 through 51 to explain in detail or expand in detail what he had mentioned in just three short verses in verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8 of this chapter, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and we know this to be John the Baptist. Don't get the Apostle John the author confused with John the Baptist, whom he's describing here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And we saw three main aspects of what it means to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a witness, but a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we saw is in verse 8, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, is that the witness is not the focal point. He is of no personal importance over in same chapter in verses 19 through 23, kind of explain that. I'm not the Christ, John the Baptist said. I'm not the prophet, but what I am is, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Secondly, we saw that John illustrates, the point that John illustrates is, is the witness must point to the light. He must point to Jesus Christ. Verse 8 again, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And again in verses, well, verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, unto him whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is to be the focal point of that witness, of our witness. And then thirdly, the third point of being a witness of Jesus Christ is, it is the only way that anyone will believe and receive. Again, verse 7, this man came to bear witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. And then in verse 34, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now there are two ways that man can witness with the intent that the hearer would receive and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two dynamics that we would have about ourselves as we go about being this witness. Two ways that we need to consider how we are perceived about others. Now when I say perceived about others, I don't care what they think of me, but on the other hand, I've got to present my way, or myself, in a way so that they would receive of the witness. Now, I can first just be an administer of the gospel, just a person who processes and passes information and have the mindset that I did my part. I spoke the gospel, and now it's up to them. But in the book of Matthew, we saw the personalized ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the description of the ministry that we have there in chapter 4 is that Jesus' ministry was one of healing, of preaching, and of teaching. Sometimes there is physical needs. Sometimes there are circumstances. As a matter of fact, that can be some of the richest times. The richest times when people are going through things that they don't understand. When they're going through hardship that they never thought would fall upon them, there's opportunity. There's opportunity to meet them in a very personal way rather than a dry kind of a way. We've been at church for 17 years. Well, 16 and a half years ago, I received a phone call. I was sitting in my office, this little office I had in my home, and it was from the Upland Convalescent Hospital. And they called and asked if we could do a Bible study. And I'm thinking, do you have the right church? And the only reason I was thinking that is because we've only been around for six months. How did they even know of us? And to this day, I don't really know how they knew of us, but we've been doing a Bible study there for 16 and a half years. So the first ones I, I was doing, we have, Kim does them now, but I went and there wasn't that many people. And the lady was kind of apologetic. She was apologizing. It's all right. She goes, but she, she said, we've had so many people come in here and, and they started something and then they just don't come back. We, we bring all the people into the room and they just don't show up. And, and so really what the people were looking for were that, was that personal bond. And, and we have that, and the brother who goes there and does it now, and Kim, he, he has this relationship with them, and that has opened the doors for the gospel. So our, our witness, it can so easily be void of love or of compassion or hands-on ministry, and if it is, it's really void of the Holy Spirit and the potential for its effectiveness. And so the second way to minister the gospel, to be this witness of the Lord, is to meet people where they are at, and what is going on in their lives, to have that personal relationship. And so that conversational evangelism, if you will, to build those bridges with those people that God brings into our lives so that when the opportunity is there, that you have that, that potential to see them come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I need to be constantly looking for avenues of the word of God and the various relationships that I have because ultimately they need to hear. Here, receiving that which is given through oral instruction or preaching. And so Paul was able to put the two together. Who he was, or maybe I should say who he was perceived to be, but also the gospel. So he looked at his situations and circumstances. He looked at a society. He looked at what was relevant to these people and, and made the consideration. Now, he was gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. How can I get in there and how can I minister the gospel? And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as he gives us this little perspective of how he went about doing ministry as he was in Jerusalem, as, as he was in Samaria, and as he was in the ends of the world, or at the ends of the world. Verse 19 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians says, For though I am free from all men, so it doesn't matter what you think of me, and you know what, I, my, my hope is in the Lord, I, I have a freedom, but I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. So he's saying, I give of myself for the purpose of well, the betterment of those whom God brings into my life. Verse 20, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. So he, he participated in the Jewish society and the Jewish way for the opportunity to share the gospel. 
to those who are without the law, we'd be speaking to the Gentiles here, as without the law, now not being without the law towards God, but under towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. So he's saying, I didn't get involved in their sinful situations, but I did meet them where they were at. And we saw when he went into Athens, he went into the mall, he went into the marketplace, and he ministered to the people there. So he ministered to people literally where they are at. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Not compromise, but he says in verse 23, this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. That I would partake of the gospel with those who I'm able to share with that we would see the kingdom of God populated through the word given by being wise and how I'm able to minister to that society. And so... There's Chuck Smith in the 60s. He didn't really want to, but God had a different plan for him, used his wife, ministered to those hippies that were hanging out down at the beach. And the way that he did it was, well, he went out there and met them where they were at. He brought their music into the church, not that literal music that they were listening to on the top 40 and all, but the type of music that they were listening to, something strange to the established church. And he was able to minister to people. You've got this man who is a little bit overweight, not much hair, ministering to these kids who, well, for a lot of the time, they're protesting against people that look like him. But because of the Holy Spirit and the love that he had and the desire to meet them where they are at, he was able to set the world on its ear. We have great potential, but we have to see how are we able to reach our society? And I think an issue is, is that our society is much more multifaceted than it was back in the 60s. First of all, if we make the determination, well, if that's what Chuck did, that's what we're going to do. Let's go minister to hippies. Well, we are. We're doing that, I think, in the convalescent home, because most of the hippies are about that age. That was a joke. But you're not going to find too many, and you're not going to be able to reach society the same exact way that Chuck did. But we're going to have to look at society. How can we reach in and meet society where it is at? Society is always changing. We have to have that mindset. The gospel doesn't change, but the way that we administer the gospel or at least meet people, that needs to change. We need to be of that mindset. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing because of the terror of the Lord. The terror that will enter into the hearts of man as he falls into the hands of an angry God. Because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We take the gospel, we present it to them in a way that they would be able to understand, digest it, and make a decision concerning it. Verse 35, John chapter 1. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. This ministry of being a witness is simply telling people of what you have seen and what you've experienced. And I've said this quite a few times. If you're a witness in the court of law, they don't really care what your opinion is. They just want to know, what did you see? Tell us what you saw. Tell us what you know concerning this issue. We don't care what you feel. We want to know what you have seen. And so... Witness, a witness is there just to tell what he has seen. And that's exactly what John is doing. Behold, check it out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
A true witness for the Lord is molded in the same threefold way that John the Baptist was. First, there is the witness of the word of God. Not our words, but God's word. Why? Because God's word is powerful. It's one of the things that I've had to learn going into difficult situations. And what I mean by that, difficult situation, going into a wedding, going into a funeral, when the first thing you stand up and you start talking about the Bible or God, the majority of the people are rolling their eyes or looking at the ceiling. The very first funeral I did, I was only speaking for five minutes, and there was a guy sitting right in the middle, far enough back that right at the place that I was looking, and I thought he had a question at first because he kind of raised his hand like that, and then he went, And, and I can't tell you, especially first funeral, what a distraction that is. But then you've got to be of the mindset, it's not about me. It's about getting the word out. Because it's the word that is living. It's the word that is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Notice this isn't speaking about Mike. This is speaking about God's word. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So it's God's word that is going to penetrate them, but the only thing that's going to hinder it from doing it is going to be us as we hold it in and don't give it out. I believe that John the Baptist, he's mouthing the words in verse 29 for his own benefit as God given him. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Look at verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I would imagine that was like John, like, wow, the spirits gave him understanding. Wow, behold, check the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Coming to a full understanding of who Jesus is and the magnitude of of what he's about. And I have to believe that, well, nobody can, we'll see this in a little bit, nobody can call Christ, Jesus Christ, except by, or Jesus God, except by the Holy Spirit. And this is him understanding them. Wow, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then when he has an opportunity over in, uh, in verse 36, behold, the Lamb of God. See, he's come to this personal awareness of who Jesus is. And because he came to the personal awareness, he's now able to come to a public proclamation of who Jesus is. See, if you're not proclaiming Jesus, you need to revisit, do I have this personal awareness of who he is? But if you really have a personal awareness, it will manifest itself in a public proclamation of who he is. And so we see these concepts and we see these examples. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why? Because there's been lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. The lambs of the ages and the best that they were ever able to do, as we saw when we studied Leviticus, is to cover sin. But now here's something amazing before all of mankind. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's an amazing thing. God does not forget your sin. God chooses to remember it no more. You've got to see the difference between there. It's not that he forgets. I forgot Because the problem with forgetting, maybe when you're standing before him in the time of judgment, he'll be remembering. That'll be a bad thing. No, he chooses to remember yours. That's just an amazing concept to me. Why? Because it's been covered by the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world who has cast them as far as the east is from the west now think about that cast them as far as the east is from the west i don't know how far that is infinity really but if i had a tennis ball i could throw that pretty far if i had a baseball i probably 
couldn't throw it as far as a tennis ball, but I could throw it. But if I had a shot put, I probably couldn't get it much more than five or ten feet. Just think of how heavy your sins are and just think of how far he cast them. It's an amazing thing. Secondly, the witness is of the Holy Spirit. Verses, look at verses back up, verse 32 and 33. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ being fully God but fully man, and the picture is an example that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just that Jesus was walking around all the time with this Spirit as a dove upon him, this visible thing that you could see. It was the works that he did through the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle is going to be speaking about. Now, this is John the Baptist, but the Apostle John is going to be speaking about all of these miracles, all these works that he did. And what is that a picture of? That's the picture of the Holy Spirit that has alighted upon him, that has landed or come upon him. And the idea here is, is that as you see Jesus in this very rich picture, you have the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word of God. I mean, look at the picture. you got Jesus. What did John call Jesus? He called him the Word. The Apostle John called Jesus the Word. And now you have the Holy Spirit alighting, landing upon the Word. And it's the same way that it works today. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and enables us in His Word. And so, when given the opportunity, realizing it's not of me, it's of the Lord, and it's through His Word, that I give His Word. And as I give His Word, and as I am filled with the Spirit, you'll see things happening in the lives, even as guys who, who look at their watch for a show to hurry up and get done with this thing. Or a wedding when people are rolling their eyes or kind of snickering. And whatever it might be, there's always the one person who is listening. The one person whose God is penetrating their heart and ministering to them. And you will not necessarily, you will not necessarily see fruit at that point, but maybe years to come. Case in point. See, whenever you need an illustration, the Lord always provides one. My wife forwarded me in an email that she got from Judy Braun. Some of you may remember who Judy is, but it's been quite a while since they've been here. I, I would have guessed about five or six years. I'm not really sure. Was it on Christmas Day that Levi passed? Yeah, they, they had a, a, a son who had some issues and um, uh, birth defect. And uh, on Christmas Day, he was around 20, somewhere in that area, he, he died. I, I, don't, I think he just didn't get out of bed. I think he died during the night. And Kevin and Judy weren't going to a church at that point, and I had known them from previous church, and they called me and asked me to do the funeral. And so I did the funeral, and they, uh, they came to church here for a while, and they've since moved on. I, I don't know where they're at, but she sent me this email. Her mother just died, and she was just rejoicing, not in the fact that her mother died, but that her mother got saved. And her mother got saved at that funeral. And I don't remember her mother getting saved at the funeral. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember hearing about it. I don't remember anything happening. But what it, as, you know, I say me, it's really we, because it's you who paid the tithes and offerings that we have a place, and we have a ministry, and you're part of it, and you're serving. So when I say me, a lot of times it's representative of us all. But we had that opportunity that day 
And maybe we didn't see him. I mean, I'm probably of the mindset more of offering this family that had dealt with so much hardship, peace, and comfort. But the word of God was, was achieving its purpose in different places. And there was a woman there whose heart was struck on life change. Why was that life change? Well, for just as a day as, I don't know when she passed away, but today when she did go. And so God works his ministry. And we don't know how it is. We just need to be the faithful witness. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us, and as we use the Word of God, it's then that we see the effect that it's able to have in the life of whoever it might be. Thirdly, because of the witness of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we need to understand the motivation of the witness for the spoken word. And here in John chapter 1, verse 34, he says, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. He realizes that this is the Messiah. And because of that, he testifies, or he witnesses, he speaks, he makes it known. John couldn't keep it within himself. John the Baptist, and the Apostle John, but John the Baptist, in context, could not keep it within himself and so he's witnessing, testifying, this is the Son of God. Well, remember, that's the Apostle John's purpose. And so first witness is John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes to the conclusion. Tell us, John, what would you see? What did you conclusion you come to? I've seen and I know this is the Son of God. Now, it's interesting to see. I have seen, and the idea here is, is to see with our mind and to be thoroughly convinced in the matter. Beyond any doubt in my mind, John the Baptist is saying that this is the Son of God. Now, the Apostle John is going to give us a visible, visible, <laughs> visible illustration of the prepared witness of a man who is ready to give this witness of who Jesus is. Again, verses 35 through 37. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, when he says again, he's continuing on in this process of showing us the necessity and the reality of a witness. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. First thing you need to see, where was John the Baptist as a witness? He was where the people were. He was amongst people, so he had the opportunity to show who Jesus is. Secondly, verse 36, looking not at himself or anyone else, he was looking at Jesus and looking at Jesus as he walked. It wasn't about John, it wasn't about anything else, but it was about the Lord. Our first point was, remember, it's not ever about the witness, it's always about Christ. And then verse 36, behold the Lamb of God, calling Jesus who he is, the Savior of all of mankind. Why? Because all of mankind needs a Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Notice John the Baptist is witnessing just as he was witnessed to. Again, verse 29, he came to the realization first, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he came to that realization, now he's able to pass it on. 1 Corinthians 11.23, we'll be here on Sunday as we're going to be celebrating communion, but 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That's a key. God doesn't expect you to do anything more than just give what he has first given to you. 
If you want more, then you go and seek more, but you can't give any more than what the Lord has given to you. Now, a lot of times we still think that we need to do more, but it's always expected of you is just to give what you got. If you don't got, don't give, because then you'll be making it up. But just give what you got, and that's enough. Be content in what God has given you and what God has given you to give. And as you're content in that, the Lord uses that because we so think that we got to talk people in, drag people in, or whatever it might be, then it starts to become an avenue of the flesh rather than the work of the Spirit. Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And a preacher is one who just proclaims the things that the Lord has given him. Verse 37, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus, the end result of true Christian ministry. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the offering. It's not about the building. It's not about the pastor. It's not about a new sensation. It's not about programs. It's about people. The true result of people following Jesus is they're just simply imitating him. They're imitating John the Baptist. You're reproducing yourself. Reproducers, that's all we've been called to be. That as somebody spoke to you, you came into the kingdom of heaven, now you speak. And you'll see other people come into the kingdom of heaven. If you don't speak, it's not going to happen. But if you do speak, we're told here, it's going to happen. Follow Jesus to tread in one's footsteps to imitate an example. Following Christ. Not John the Baptist, although they are following his example, but this is God-ordained example. In all instances, hear the witness, hear the pastor, hear the teacher, but you follow Jesus. What we see in verses 35 through, or I'm sorry, 38 through 51 is the same circle of John the Baptist, the way that the Lord worked in his life. And what we see that is that example followed. And it's followed all the way through into the day of your salvation. But these two disciples then are going to repeat it. But notice next, we see the example of a time of discipleship as well. Interjected in here is the necessity to learn and the necessity to grow as well. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. In verse 38, this response to Jesus' question, what do you seek? Or at least the question, what do you seek? Not what do you want, not what do you like, what do you know, what do you seek? And again, it's through all the ages, man is seeking what Christ offers. God has placed eternity within our hearts. We know, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we know the reality of sin, we know the reality of righteousness, and we know the reality of judgment. And because of that, there's always going to be a void within the hearts of men. How many people remember the Moody Blues, the rock and roll group from the 60s? They wrote a song, Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? with a thousand million questions about hate and death and war. I'm looking for someone to change my life. I'm looking for a miracle in my life. How many of you sang along with that song, not really understanding what you were saying, 
but how profound those words are because it really describes humanity apart from Jesus Christ. There's something missing in our lives. These men are seeking after that which is missing in their lives. John the Baptist has seen what he has sought, and so now these men are doing the same. So look at this play on words, verse 34. I have seen and testified. Jesus asks, what do you seek? Verse 39, come and see. And so, again, there's this constant thread that is going through from John the Baptist. It's going through to these two disciples. And from there, it goes through to all of humanity. They're seeking. What is it that you're seeking? People may say personal fulfillment, but fulfillment only comes in Christ. Great riches, great riches only come in Jesus Christ. The meaning of life, it only comes in Jesus Christ. Eternal life, it only comes in Jesus Christ. Everything that the world is seeking, although they are seeking it according to the world's ways and the world's definitions, can be found if you truly seek and find the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they may have been unsure exactly of what they were seeking, but nonetheless, it's Christ who has the answer here. Verse 39, he said to them, come and see. See, if you're seeking, come and see. Come and see that the Lord is good. He said to them, come and see, and they came and they saw. That's the thing with Christ. If you're seeking, if you come and see, you will see. You will saw. doesn't make sense. You will see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found, this is speaking afterwards, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Whenever you see Andrew in John's gospel, what is he doing? He's bringing somebody to Christ. So now we're moving on. John the Baptist, and now we're looking at Andrew. We saw John the Baptist's ministry, and now we see Andrew. Now Andrew's going to go on to Peter, and we'll look at Peter's in just a minute. But you see Andrew. He's gone to his brother, and his brother now has come to Christ. The boy with loaves and fishes, he brings this boy to Christ. The Greeks who wanted to see Jesus in John chapter 12, he brings them to Christ. No sermons from Andrew are recorded, but he certainly preached great sermons by his actions as a personal soul winner. Now, you've got this visual illustration of him bringing people to Christ, but the only way that we can bring people to Christ today is through the sharing of the word. Now, look what he did with Peter in verses 41 and 42. First thing he is, he found them. Go out and find somebody. Find somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Then what did he do after he found them? He told him, go and tell those people about Christ. And then what did he do? He brought him. He brought them to Christ. How do we do that? We don't physically bring them anywhere, especially if they don't want to go. We bring people to the point of decision. Decision. They've got to come to that point of decision of receiving Jesus Christ into their lives. So look at this progression that started from the obedient witness of John the Baptist, went to Andrew, and now has gone to Peter. Now, what did Peter do? Acts chapter 2, verse 41 Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they had taught the people and preached in Jesus 
uh, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And so there's 8,000 people. And so you could go back and tell John the Baptist, John, because you witnessed that day, because you beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and simply shared that, 8,000 people got saved. Andrew, because you were faithful in what God called you to do, yeah, it wasn't you, it was your brother, but you had a part in that. And 8,000 people got saved. How do you know who the next person that you witness? how do you know how God is going to use them? Again, you've got the illustration of the person that witnessed to Billy Graham and D.L. Moody and so many people throughout the ages. And you never know. You never know when you're going to have the opportunity to minister to somebody who God is going to use to bring revival into this nation, into our society. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's all we get as far as what was spoken to Philip. Now, Philip was from Bessadia, the city of Andrew and Peter in the area of the Sea of Galilee. And Philip found Nathanael. Now, Nathanael only appears in the Gospel of John, and it's truly believed that Nathanael is the Apostle Bartholomew. We don't know that as a fact, but it is believed to be so. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So what is he referring to here? He's referring to the word of God. What is he doing? He's come to follow Christ. And what do the followers of Christ do? Followers of Christ share the word of God. Verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Philip said, there's that word again, come and see. So John, the apostle John is continuing on in that vein. Now, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When we were going to Israel, Pastor David had left, who we were going with, and people from his church. He had left a couple of days before, and so he wanted me to talk to El Al Airlines, you know, when people were getting bored, you know, make sure everybody's there, and, and they wanted to talk to one of the representatives, and really what they wanted to do was grill them. And they asked me, so where are you going? I'm going, we're going to Israel, and they kind of rolled their eyes. Where in Israel are you going? What's your destination? We were going to Tiberias in the Sea of Galilee, but I, I just couldn't remember, and I think, I, I think we're going to Nazareth. And she kind of laughed and says, you're going to visit there, but you're not going to stay there. I go, no, I, th- I think we're staying in Nazareth. And he goes, you're not staying in Nazareth. Why? Because I've seen it. Nobody stays in Nazareth. It's not a safe place to stay. And so this opinion of Nazareth back then, it prevails even today. We stopped there in the bus. We got out of the bus. We got back in the bus, and we left. It's someplace you go through. You don't stay there. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. No deceit? Well, that was kind of hard for Jesus because he was constantly being faced with Israelites who were crafty. There were the scribes and there were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. They were always trying to entrap him. They were always kind of trying to set these little traps to kind of catch him somehow, some way. But really what it is, what we're being pointed out to Nathaniel here, here's a man who was honestly seeking. He was honestly seeking truth. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, 
We don't know what was going on. Don't really know what the significance of the fig tree is. Fig tree could be a picture of Israel. Could be a general picture of Israel seeking Messiah. Could be, may not be. Uh, fig tree is looked at a place of comfort and meditation. Apparently he was doing something. What I believe that he was doing, I believe he was contemplating Genesis chapter 28. That's Jacob's ladder chapter. And he was contemplating these things and really... What do these things mean? And you'll see why I think that in a a little bit. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So those connotations are towards Messiah. You're the coming Messiah. So apparently, whatever Jesus, what Jesus said there, I really believe that Nathanael was looking at those scriptures and he was contemplating the Messiah, may have heard of Jesus Christ and the things were going on and all, but now... He's thoroughly convinced. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said, you, uh, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And that's lending towards the rest of what John's going to write. And he said to him, most surely I say to you, hereafter, from this point on, you shall see heaven open. Now this would relate back to Genesis 28. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Also remember Jacob as he was running away from his brother. He was in Bethel, I believe it was, that night, had his head upon a rock sleeping, and he had this vision of heaven open and the angels ascending and descending. And the idea here is is that the coming Messiah and opening the gates of heaven, of the kingdom of God to all of mankind. And I really believe that when he goes back to when you if you would look back at verse 47, behold, an Israelite indeed of whom is no deceit. Well, Jacob was very deceitful. And so I think there's a lot of rich word pictures here that really struck the heart of Nathaniel. How does this man know? How does this man know the things that I was contemplating, Jacob and the hill catcher, and how deceitful he was, and how I was wanting to know and understand truth, and really what this meant about the the, the gates of heaven being open and angels ascending and descending. How did this man know my thoughts? How does this man know who I am? And how did these things come about? They penetrated his heart simply because the words of God were spoken to him. Actually, God was speaking his word into his heart, and it arrested his soul at that point, and it changed his life forever. And so just as this man, Nathaniel, was ministered to and his life was altered, we've got the same opportunity. We've got the same opportunity to do these things because, again, people are out there seeking. They write songs about it. They're out there seeking and they're out there looking and they're lost out there. We need to take them and we need to show them. We need to show them the one, the one who is able to fill their lives, answer their questions, the one who is able to be displayed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that your word just spells all of these things out. And Father, just as John the Baptist unknowingly, but but 8,000 souls, and even so many more than that. And he had this, this, this small part in it, but Lord, Lord, a very effective part. Lord, I pray that we would value our small parts and understand that our small parts can be very effective to the future generations. Maybe there are some here that will be able to witness and see thousands saved, but maybe the majority of us will just see one or a handful saved. 
but that can make all the difference. And so, Father, I pray that we would have a concept truly of what your plan is, and as we do, may we see the importance that we play in that, just simply being that witness, just simply giving what you have given to us, no more and no less. Father, may we take these things to heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?